Hey, this is Cal Fussman, and welcome back to Big Questions. Normally, I like to start each podcast with a story, but not today. That's because today, I want to get right to an extraordinary hour I just spent with Scooter Braun. I call it extraordinary for two reasons. First, I cannot remember another time when I've entered an interview with only one question. That question for Scooter was, what did he learn in the last year, 2017? Extraordinary for another reason, in that I think if Scooter were to listen back on this hour 25 years from now, he'd be amazed. Amazed to realize that everything that had transpired in all that time could be traced back to what he'd learned in 2017. So many things happened so quickly that I don't think he's had a chance to process it all. As you probably know, Scooter is the manager of Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Tori Kelly, Martin Garrix, David Guetta, represents Kanye West, He's one of the most influential people in the entertainment business. And as you'll soon see, much more than that. So we'll get straight to Scooter right after what everyone else in the world calls commercials, but I call real life. And let me tell you why. Last weekend, went to breakfast with a guy named Eyal Gutentag. We sit down, I introduce Eyal to the gang, and they ask, what do you do? He says, I work at ZipRecruiter. One of the guys says, ZipRecruiter? I said, yeah, it is the most efficient way to hire. Company has a job opening, they type the job description in the computer, and with a single click, they will get qualified candidates within the next 24 hours. Now, That wasn't a commercial. I was just describing the company. And I would do that if I'm at breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I believe in ZipRecruiter. And you will too if you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and give it a try, a free try. And let me tell you, why I talk about Squarespace. I have a pal, his name's Tio Arturo, who I've known for decades. Tio was the art director at Time Magazine. He knows art, he knows direction, and do you know what website he uses? Squarespace. That's not a commercial, that's a fact. Welcome to Big Questions, Scooter Braun. Cal Fussman. <laughs> it's great to see you. You too, buddy. Sorry, I went away the entire break. Usually you and I spend the break together talking. <laughs> well, you know, this, this, this actually brings up the question that was on my mind. I came here with one question. Oh, this is going to be a simple interview. No, it's going to lead to a lot more <laughs> questions. 
And the question is, because I hadn't, haven't really seen you in the last year. Not much, yeah. I know a lot of stuff went on. Yes, it did. And my ultimate question, which we're going to break down, is what did you learn last year? That I did not like 2017. You did not like it. No, it was a lot of amazing things took place. Financially, it was a great year for me. Um, if anything, it really showed me that, you know, it was a reminder that money does not equal happiness. Because it was an amazing year financially for me in the business world. Um, but it was probably one of the darkest years of my life. You know, the Manchester attack, the, you know, putting on a telethon and 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 being so close to devastation, you know, while helping these people. Um, and seeing the country that my grandfather fought so hard to bring us to be really in turmoil, in my opinion, just is so much you know, misunderstanding and hatred and division. I, you know, it, it was just a year that I'm looking forward to putting behind me and, and being more productive in 2018. And plus, 18 is a really great number. It's it's biblically, you know, a, an important number. It means luck in, in the ideas of Kabbalah. Um, 18 is a number that someone might say, hey, coach, I want to wear number 18. No one says, coach, I want to wear number 17. It just doesn't happen. Um, so... You know, I think what I learned, um, what I learned from eighteen was what I can handle. Well, let, let's break this down because I I'd, I'd like to break it down, like starting in January, uh, because you'll probably remember it better than me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know in January we we're all watching the inauguration. Yes, of Donald Trump. I watched Trump. it from Mexico. You saw it in Mexico. Okay. I went to Mexico to celebrate Trump. Being inaugurated, I thought it was fitting. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching it, and he's saying it was very clear. I don't think we've ever had another inaugural address like that, where he's saying, hey, America first. What are you feeling when you're hearing that? You know, it, words are a funny thing, because... The way you put together words and context and how you use them, they can mean the exact opposite. Um, someone could say America first and someone can look at that as, you know, this person is really, forget the whole world, we're going to make America first. But someone else with a different context and a different explanation of how they see America could say America first. And that can mean the way I see America, which is a place that, protects and takes in all of the world. Um, so in the context he was using it, I was understand he was playing into a base. He was playing into a group of people who are were ignored, who feel like all this money being spent overseas should be spent at home because their lives are miserable. Um, and I can understand that. I'm not someone who lives on the West Coast and like loses their mind in this bubble and says, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia for 12 years. I, I understand, I've traveled this country on tour and lived in a tour bus and seen every city that this country has to offer. And I know that tomorrow comes, you know, that, that this isn't the end of the world. The whole democratic system is that we pick a leader, we unite behind them, give an opportunity. And if they start to 
you know, handle that opportunity in the wrong way, then we demand the best out of them. Um, so, you know, in, in January, my mindset was give the man an opportunity. And, and this is coming from a guy who you supported Hillary Clinton. I supported Hillary Clinton, but I also believe in the system. I believe that we support and we don't, we don't act like sore losers. You know, if someone wins, we stand behind them because the whole point is being the United States of America. And in January, nothing would have made me happier than uniting behind this man and giving him an opportunity and hoping he would do the right thing. And along the way, there have been things that he's done that I've liked. But there have been many things that he's done that I have disliked and many ways that he has used rhetoric that I find wrong. I find it alienating of American citizens. And I think that uh, it, it added to my frustration because to me, Congress makes policy. Uh, the Supreme Court defines that policy uh, if it has to. And the President of the United States, while they can lead a lot, really is supposed to be a figurehead and also a reflection of who we are as a people. Their job is so that if I put my two sons in front of the television, I shouldn't have to ask my wife later, do you think I need to have a conversation with them about morality? You know, is there something that he said that I need to explain to them is inappropriate? Um, and, and that's been my biggest frustration because this isn't about him. This is about representing all of us and if you're going to say america first understand what that is because america is a lot of different types of people were you surprised that the way he used twitter and the internet to get elected and then to spread his no, message? i mean I've, I've used social media my whole career that's so, why i was asking yeah, the question. so i i completely understand and i thought it was smart and you know certain ways they did things um really were you know, they, they revolutionized the way some of this can work. I thought that Jared Kushner was behind a lot of that, and he's, you know, very intelligently put it together. Um, my frustration is now you're the president. Put down the Twitter some nights. Don't Don't threaten nuclear warfare over Twitter. You know, there's a lot of people out here who are trusting in your judgment. And don't be Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. If somebody says you're a wimp, you don't have to turn around every single time and go fight. Learn the lesson of Back to the Future and don't go into the fight every <laughs> single time. It's a great movie. It has many lessons. <laughs> Doc was a genius. <laughs> okay, so we're going... But I, I don't have this, like... I'm sorry for interrupting you. I just... If you're going to start me off in a political place, I just want to say I don't have this idea that I have want to have hatred towards this man. And I don't have this idea that every person who voted for him is wrong or racist. Like I've heard many people in L.A. say, you know, or seen on my Facebook, if you voted for Donald Trump, I'm unfollowing you. That's not the point of this. I know amazing, good people who voted for Donald Trump. They made a decision. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them racist. There's a lot of dis you know thought that goes into electing a president. Some people are being loyal to their party. Some people are feeling like they just want to shake things up. Some people believe some of the rhetoric. I mean, but the most important thing to me is we have to stop yelling at the same people we claim to want to help. And we got to learn how to speak to each other again. So the early part of the year is passing. We get to May and... Ariana Grande is on a concert tour, and she's in Manchester, England. And I, I know this because I spoke to you after, uh, a while after the 
concert that eventually uh, came from this. And when I saw you at that point, I don't think you'd slept in, looked like weeks. Yeah. What did you learn going through an experience where you're sitting in a, a room and you hear there's been a bombing at a concert that you set manager. up? Yeah. yeah, you're the manager. Um, I was in Los Angeles doing a budget meeting and the news started to come through. And, and at first we thought it was a prank. You know, it's concerts. Sometimes in the hallways, somebody makes a loud noise or like people start screaming and they start a prank and there's just pandemonium. And it literally took about three hours after the bombing for us to get the proper information. And so we slowly found out, slowly found out. Um, and as the information came in, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then you're finding out that it was a bombing and children and mothers and fathers have died. And and it's not two or three people. It's a lot of people. Um, and Had you ever been in a situation remotely no one has. like that? No, no, one, no one's had a terrorist bombing attack at their concert. You know, in at least in the mainstream American pop culture, um, there was a shooting of a band in Paris um, at their concert. It's a much smaller show. Um, unfortunately, we had a shooting in, in Vegas recently. But I mean, this is a concert filled with adults and children. Someone had to wait outside in the pickup area where the parents were waiting for their children. And look around and say, okay, there's enough kids around me who have joy in their eyes. Now it's the time for me to kill them and myself. I mean, the type of evil you're talking about, is it's, it's hard to understand. And that's why they made a mistake. The terrorists made a mistake. One, they chose children. And that united us. We put our politics aside. We put our religions aside. We put all these different things aside and we said, that has gone too far. And the world came together. The other mistake they made, they picked the wrong goddamn show. Because if they thought we were going to roll over, they don't know Ariana and they sure as hell don't know me. Um, and when I you know, flew to her grandma's house and I met up with her, I was so fired up because I'd been waiting to fight this kind of evil my whole life. Because my grandparents are Holocaust survivors and I wanted a shot at this. And I was like, we got to get back on the road. It was unfair. It was, it was a ridiculous ask of me to put on her. She was, her fans were dead. Pe people were still being identified. People were still in the hospital fighting for their lives. She was, you know, suffering from trauma. She's like, I can never sing these songs again. I can't put on these costumes. Are you crazy? And after a day of talking, I went through the process of canceling the entire tour. And our insurance brokers, Lloyds of London, they were like, 100% agree with her. Whatever she wants, we'll pay you for the entire tour. She doesn't have to do anything. So it had been a ton of money for her without having to do any work. And she knew that. And by the time I landed back in LA, I had 16 text messages from her. And she's saying, call me. I've been thinking. I call her. She said, Scooter, if I don't do something, I'm not who I say I was. And these people died in vain. I need to get back onto the road immediately. And we thought about it and I said, I need you to take two weeks. I want you to see a therapist. I want you to get your mind right because it's going to be a lot. And I have a crazy idea before our next show in two weeks. I want to go back to Manchester. And I want to make this statement. We're not going to wait three months. We go back now. And she said, I'm with you. 
I want to just stop it right here because I'm looking at a piece of artwork right over your desk. And there are four words, imagine, create, execute, deliver. When did the imagination start for you to say, okay, I know what we're going to do now? It was honestly, I was watching the news the night after the attack and CNN put on a mother who was trying to find her daughter. Oh man. And when I heard her voice and saw the picture of her daughter and her describing it, I said, you know what? We have to do something. And the next day they found her daughter. She had died. And the woman went on television and she said, do not let my daughter die a victim. And um, I've never forgotten that. And that's when my mind started really running. And I said, okay, we, we got to do something. We got to do it for this community. And uh, that community ended up being the bravest community I've ever witnessed. Okay, so the imagination has already been checked off. Where does the creation start? Once Ariana said yes, within 24 hours, I put together pretty much 90% of the lineup. Um, she started working on what set she was going to do. And I was on the phone with Live Nation trying to find a venue, which didn't come together until literally three days before the event. And really it came together because of the kindness of a, of a former footballer named Michael Carrick. So you're, you're playing this game and you don't even have a place to play the game. I mean, we had 10 days. We had 10 days to prepare it. So my thing was I was going to move forward with this thing and someone was going to give me a venue because they're not going to have a choice. And the only reason we got a venue is three days before the Greater Manchester Police, when we finally found a venue, which we used, they said, we can't give you enough security for the venue. We won't let you do this because Michael Carrick's um, game former Man United, you know, Man United player. Great soccer player. Yeah, he his game, his, you know, tribute game is that day. And unless they move the game, we were not going to give you the place. And Sir Alex, great manager for the Manchester United, was like, look, we've sold 70,000 tickets for this six months ago. Like, we're not going to move the game. It's ridiculous. It's for Michael. I can't do that. And I called Robbie Keane, another great footballer who's a friend of mine. I said, do you know Michael Carrick? He goes, mate, he's one of my best friends and I'm playing in that game. What's up? And I told Robbie what was up, and he said, oh, game's moved. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, game's moved. I know, I know Michael. He's a great guy. Game's moved. He's got kids. He'll get it. Game's moved. And I said, You're, you can't just say that. He goes, I'll take care of it. Literally calls me back 30 minutes later, and he says, Michael's calling Sir Alex right now. The game's being moved. And Michael, I don't know this man, but someday I'm going to get emotional talking about it because that was a very emotional time for all of us. Someday I'm going to hug the hell out of that guy. Because, you know, it's his tribute game. It's his day. He's waited for it for a long time. And he put that city before himself. And I just think he's, that's a role model kids should look at. As this is all approaching, it sounds like there's just a whirlwind of things happening. And you had to be just a little concerned about how Ariana was going to hold up. Because we didn't tell Ariana anything. That was that was the deal. Ariana knows nothing, doesn't know, you know, everyone that's coming. Like she needs to focus on what she needs to do because this is a tremendous amount we're putting on her shoulders. And I said, I'll take care of everything else. 
And so she was just working on her working music. on her set, what she was gonna do. And every once in a while I might tell her, Hey, this person signed on. <laughs> like, but I she at one point we just said, you know what? We're gonna I'll tell you everything a day or two before the event. But for the next two weeks, you work on yourself and you work on your music. Because I couldn't put that on her shoulders. It was too much. Could you sense her getting stronger and stronger by the day? Or I mean, that girl is, for a little tiny Italian girl, <laughs> she is tough as nails. And, um, you know, she struggled. Even, even the day of the show. I mean, the London attack was the day before our show. That was when we all really questioned ourselves. Are we really doing the right thing? And before we could even think about it, Chris Martin and Marcus Mumford called me and they said, we're British, do not cancel this show. It's more important now than ever. And um, But for her personally, and I only met her once, but the feeling I got from meeting her was that she really wants people to love her music because she puts her whole heart and soul into it. And you know, there are other artists who... You get the feeling that, hey, I, this is what I do, and I don't care what anybody thinks. Ariana has built a following because she's part of it. She, Her fans are like a world that she loves, and she's a citizen of that world. Like, she's taken super fans, made them her friends, and brought them on the road. Like, she, she keeps in touch with these people. When she's making her album... She'll play it for them before the label and say, which songs do you guys like, you know, to a couple super fans to make sure that when she goes to the label, it represents them, not just her. Like she, when she found out that fans of hers had died, she was, she was so sad. I mean, she cried for days. We, there was nothing that could stop us. She she felt every pain, every face that they announced, every name. Like it was, she wore it on her sleeve, like every bit of emotion, because that's who she is. And the thing I said earlier, which she said, which I'll always remember, she goes, if I don't do something, I'm not who I say I am to these people. And, and, and there know, were people who she actually had photos with prior, yeah, prior who. Yeah. Some of these people she had met in meet and greets. And right before she was going on stage, it hit her and she gathered herself. And when she walked on that stage, I will, from the rest of my life, if anyone asks me what's the greatest show you're ever part of, I will say One Love Manchester. That was the greatest concert I've ever attended because it was more than a concert. You know, those people could have watched from the comfort of their homes. BBC was showing it, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everyone was showing it. And there was a tack a day before they put 65,000 people put their lives in danger to come to that concert. And the artists, the caliber of artists, the amount of them that showed up, performed, gave it their all. It was beyond moving. I mean, it was, it was so special to see one after another, take the stage and just care so much. And, and it was just pure resilience, joy and defiance in that stadium it's it's hard to explain um and and this was loaded with even more emotion because you and ariana had gone to the hospital to to meet some of the victims we we went to the hospital and met a lot of the victims and then we actually went to a private location and met 19 families 
of the victims who had lost. Um, 10 minutes at a time, one by one. And that was the hardest two hours of either of our lives. And what, what's it like? What's it like? I mean, look, you're meeting people who have lost loved ones within the past week. And uh, there's no nothing you can do to bring those people back. All it does is remind you of your responsibility to those victims. And I don't care what anyone says. Till the day I die, anyone says anything bad about Ariana, they got to come see me. Because she didn't leave. After the first family, we all were like, can we do this? And we talked about it and we said, let's keep going. And she sat and talked to every single one of those families. And that, that's far beyond being a superstar. That's being a superhuman. Um, Did you feel like you had to shield her in any way or help her or protect her? We helped Did each other. I mean, out of the first family, I had to help her. She was d- distraught. But then five families in, a father comes in who's basically my age. And he's with his daughter, and I'm sitting there saying, okay, what's the situation? And they said his wife was there to pick up the kids, and the wife died. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, his wife just went to pick up the kids at a concert, and now he's a single dad. And I, and I kept looking at him, thinking not only did he lose his partner, but he has to, he has to do this on his own now, and I don't know. My wife is such a hero in our house. Like I, I couldn't even imagine doing it without her. And I was was lost. And Ariana had to help me gather myself when that family walked out. Um. So yeah, it was it was beyond tough. But every single time we got down, we reminded each other we get to go home. Our loved ones are still going to be there. These people, they're meeting us. They're talking to us. There's a concert. And the whole world's going to continue, but theirs is never going to continue. That mother's never coming home. That daughter's never coming home. That son is never coming home. That dad is never coming home. So we didn't really have a right to be so sad that we couldn't continue. And so you go to the concert. Are there moments that particularly stand out in your mind when you think back on it? Um, yeah. Um, I added Marcus Mumford to the show the day before. And we chose a song together. He altered some lyrics. And I said, you know, he just wanted to be a part of the show. And I said, I actually would like you to open the show because I think this song with these lyrics is very poignant. And then... I went and spoke to him and I said, look, here's my idea. I, I would really love for you to walk out on stage with just your guitar because he's doing an acoustic alone. And I said, and say, may we have a moment of silence. Um, and then before you play, we just, you know, you should say something. And we talked about what it was and he and I came to the conclusion that it should be, we should not be afraid. Um, or we will not be afraid. I forgot exactly what he said. But I remember... I was nervous. Is anyone going to come? Because the attack the day before, and they warned. They put out the police put out a warning saying that there's a high possibility of an attack. So why would anyone come? And it was packed at seven o'clock when we started. Now six o'clock when we started, and he did that moment of silence, and everyone was dead silent. Sixty thousand people, 
And when he said, we should not be afraid, there was a roar that is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Um, when Justin took the stage, you know, he had a very emotional moment with me when he came off. Um, Robbie Williams, take that. Coldplay, Kate, Kate, everyone was amazing. Ariana took the stage, and when she sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow to close the show, that was phenomenal. But the thing that sticks with me probably the most, the star of the show, in my opinion, other than Ariana, um, was the crowd. The joy they had, the jumping, the singing, the crying. But at the very end, when Robbie Williams performed early in the show, he sang, he altered a song he has, and he said, it goes, Manchester, we're strong, we're strong, we're strong. We'll keep singing our songs, our songs, our songs. And he would repeat it, and the whole crowd would repeat it. Our concert that was attacked, it wasn't during the show. It was at the end of the show, when people were exiting. So even though the show was this amazing joy for five hours, when it ended and people were leaving, there was anxiety. You know, this is when the terrorist attack last time. And all of a sudden, 60,000 people at the top of their lungs for 15 minutes as they exited started singing with no cameras on, no nothing. Manchester, we're strong. We're strong. We're strong. We'll keep singing our songs, our songs, our songs. Manchester, we're strong. We're strong. We're strong. We'll keep singing our songs over and over and over again. And that was the bravest, most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And I will never forget just staring at these people from the VIP box as they sang and exited. It was the most defiant, incredible thing. Okay, we're going to take a pause for another real story from ZipRecruiter. In fact, I got a couple of stories. One is about a guy, recent college grad, who was diagnosed with cancer. Lost his job, was in a car accident, lost his car. Everything just started unraveling in a matter of days. Well, he went on ZipRecruiter and guess what? Got a job and it's a 180 degree shift in his life. That's not a commercial, that's real life. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, for your free trial. You wouldn't believe what Squarespace has done to my life. I go on squarespace.com and I start looking at all these beautiful websites. Amazing things you can do. All custom, all unique. It's going to take your essence and put it in a place where the world can see it. And there I am, ready to get my essence out there. I look in the mirror and I see, well, I'm a little overweight. So you know what? I'm out at five in the morning running. 
I'm doing push-ups. I'm doing burpees. I'm on a juice cleanse so that when I do my photo shoot, my photos are going to look beautiful on that Squarespace website. Trust me on this. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com, offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N. You get home, and that, that's, that's about time I saw you, and I'm wondering, what's, what's it like coming back to your family? I know how much you love your kids. They hadn't seen you for a while. Does, what does that do to you to be anchored again? After her show, I, I jumped on the road with Justin and went to, um, uh, I, you'll, I'm sure, explain it, but I'm, I manage Justin Bieber as well. So I jumped on the road with him in Europe. He was on his European tour. And I went to two shows. And then I joined Ariana on her next show since the Manchester event, which was Paris. And um, about an hour after arriving in my hotel, there was an attack in Paris. Uh, someone tried to stab a police officer. It was a mile from my hotel. And um, my wife at that point was having nightmares that I wasn't coming home. Um, Ariana had me make a speech on stage we talked about it and I had made a speech on stage at the Manchester event, um, kind of about why we have to stand strong in the face of evil. Um, every single time I released a statement, it was kind of going worldwide. It was kind of this reaction terror. It was like myself and Ariana and Donald Trump were the American response to worldwide terror <laughs> at the time. Oh, um, and his response was, uh, I, I don't know. I think yeah, whatever. Um, but, um, I was told by security to have my own security guard in Europe at that point because it was a high terror alert level all over Europe. And I had really put myself out there. And so had she. Um, so we had extra detail around her, extra detail around her moving, her concerts moving forward. And um, after that terrorist attack in Paris, I remember walking across my hotel room and I just collapsed. And I sobbed because I hadn't taken time to think about anything. And I think my body was just, you know, it was just too much for a moment. I gathered myself after about five minutes and I was fine, but I didn't even know where it came from. It was like your body being like, all right, buddy, you know, it's okay to not be okay with everything that you guys have been through in the last two weeks. Um, and I can't tell you after that Paris show, I ran home. I got home as fast as I could. And all I wanted to do was hug my kids. All I wanted to do was hug my wife and hug my kids and just let them know I'm safe and also let myself know that I was safe. Um, do you need time to just decompress after experience like that? or You know, my wife actually forced me to. My birthday was right after. My birthday was June 18th. Um, so we actually went on a trip. And it was an amazing trip to be surrounded by loved ones, be surrounded by friends. And um, funny part is we went right back to Europe because that was where we had always planned to go. And my wife's like, you sure you want to go? And I was like, I'm out here saying we're not going to change our life. We're not going to change our life. And we went back to Italy <laughs> um, and, uh, and had an amazing trip, first in uh, Spain and then in Italy. 
And and so now this the summer's coming, and you know a few things are happening. Uh, Despacito, yep. I think is is being released now. This this song has been downloaded or what? streamed. Yeah, streamed, downloaded. I'm sorry. I'm no, you know okay. I, you know I'm downloaded and streamed. We're still downloading. Okay, Don't worry. you know I'm not Mr. Technology. It's okay. I got you. <laughs> Almost five billion times, if I'm not correct. It's I like think it's even more four, than that now. More than five billion yeah. times. So my question is, how can we be talking about building a wall at the same time that we're bringing in Despacito in these numbers? You like what I did there? <laughs> you like what I did there? Justin sang in Spanish, get the song in Spanish. Even Luis Fonzi, the star of the song. I don't know the background to this. It's, okay. Explain it. Um, Monty Lippman, who runs Republic Records, calls me and goes, look, I got this song from our Latin division that's buzzing. You think we can get one of your artists on it? Never thinking Justin. Thinking uh, someone else. And you know, and, and we we looked at it, and it just wasn't going to work. But um, Justin's in Colombia, and he calls me up, and he's like, man, this song last night in the club in Colombia, the girls were going crazy. And I said, I have that song, the rights to it as a remix. You should get on it. And he's like, you really think so? I was like, yeah. I was like, but we got to do it quick. And uh, we talked about it. I said, I think you should do it in Spanish. And he goes, yeah, I agree. So he goes, but I need someone to help me. I said, I'll set that up for you. And then I called Pooh Bear, one of our writers that you know, Justin loves. Right. And I said, I need you to write me an intro in English for him. And I need you to do it tonight because I'm sending him the song tomorrow. And Pooh Bear wrote this amazing intro real quick. Pooh Bear to the rescue. Yep. Um, he sent me the first version. I was like, okay, let's try something else. He sent me a second version, nailed it. Um, we sent it down to Justin. Justin knocked it out, killed the accent, worked hard in the studio for three or four hours, really killed it. We sent it back, and Luis is like, well, I really wanted him to do it in English because I wanted to do it in English. I, I want to get it on English radio. And I said, Luis, oh, we're going to get it on English radio. We, we put Gangnam Style in Korean on English radio. <laughs> And when we sent it in, all the radio stations said too much Spanish. And we went back to them and said, on our reputation, you put the record on the radio, and if we're wrong, we'll go back and do it in English, but we're not changing it. And it went number one for 16 weeks. Um, listen, man. Is this your... Like, this your Music doesn't know politics. This is what I'm, this is what I'm wondering. Is, is it that, or is this your way of fighting back? Is this your Look, way I think of, there's of a making lot of, a point? I think, listen, I'm not the one who made this song. I didn't do this by myself. Right. Um, Justin killed it. He has no, he's Canadian. He doesn't care what's going on <laughs> with our <laughs> politics. They got a good thing going on up there. Um, you know, Luis and Daddy Yankee made the song beforehand. Did I push and maneuver things in a way because I wanted it to be my way of rebellion? Yeah, maybe. Yes. Um, and does it make me happy to see it be number one for 16 straight weeks the entire summer while someone who is the president at the time is belittling people in our country that speak that language? Yeah, I, I did take a little bit of validation in that. Um, but uh, that's the best thing about music. Music's water. It's going to seep through the cracks. You can't just stop it. It doesn't doesn't speak politics. It just it will break through any barrier. And um, it's amazing you said music is water because I have an image in my head after Hurricane Harvey 
uh, and we'll, we'll talk about hand in hand your response to that. And I'll ask you to set it up. But in in that show, we raised forty four million dollars, and maybe sixty six. Sixty six. I'm sorry. Oh, hey, and still, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't pay sixty six. A lot of good people did that. So okay. In that show, Julia Robertson and uh, George Clooney told a story about a guy who was going back to his home after the torrented hit, and he was just going to get some stuffed animals for his kids. And one of his kids played the piano and was nervous that the water had just gone over the piano and it didn't have a piano anymore. And you actually saw in the video this guy going back to his house and sitting on the stool in, in front of the piano in water. Mm-hmm. And then... And playing. And playing. It was, it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And... I'm wondering how you decided to respond to Hurricane Harvey like that. Um, I don't. I have a hard time saying no. Really, to, to good people, I can uh, say to no. Good people, okay. I can say no pretty easily to a lot of things, but to good people, Bun B is a good person. And here I have a friend of mine who, before hand in hand, was my friend. Now he's my brother. How how long had you known him? We've known each other over the years for probably about 10 years, but like not close, kind of acquaintances, friendly. And he called me up while his friends and family are being evacuated. And he's down there. And he's finding out his his hometown is underwater. Um, and he called me to think like, can Justin, Ariana, like can you talk to Kanye, maybe we can get a PSA. That was all he was thinking. And I said, well, what else are you thinking about doing? He goes, well, maybe I'm thinking about a telethon. I always loved Billy Crystal and his telethon, you know, and and he, he was like, I remember to this day watching Billy Crystal do a telethon, like, you know, Whoopi and like, you know, maybe we can do a telethon. And I'm like, well, how are you going to do it? He starts kind of saying, and I was like, do you know? He goes, well, I don't know that person. I don't know this and I don't know that. I don't know how to do that, but, you know, maybe someone local. And I was like, maybe I can help you. And he said, well, I know you're just in Manchester. I was hoping you would, you know, be open to helping. Okay. And, um... He stayed down in Texas, and we put the whole telethon together. And it was funny because when we'll get into that whole story, but when he arrived that day, and I brought him into the LA site to see all the names and how the setup, he broke down crying, and he said, "You know, this is your thing. I'm just happy to be here." And I looked at him. And I said, "Bon, you're crazy. I've been up in LA putting together a telethon." And receiving videos from you every day as you went to repurpose truck through the water miles and miles into places that Red Cross wasn't getting to, to deliver milk and water to families and save their life. You've been our inspiration. This is your thing. None of these people would be here if it wasn't for what you did. And um, then he saw a chair with a name on it. I said, Billy Crystal. And he lost Whoa. it. And um, he got to spend time with Billy, you know, and talk to him about, you're the reason I was inspired to want to do this. And, you know, Billy was moved because Billy's a class act. Um, it was uh, it was a special hour. <laughs> it was a really, you know, to be doing it in four cities at the same time. And 
it wasn't a special hour. I want to rephrase that. It was a special hour and a half because for 30 minutes after we ended, every celebrity sat at that chair and answered phone calls for another 30 minutes. No one left. So it's funny the things you remember. The the things you remember. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. I remember Oprah looking at me. All this stuff is surreal for me. I still think I'm a 19 year old kid in Atlanta with like a big idea. (laughs) And Oprah looks at me and she goes, "This is what we do. This is what we do." (laughs) And and uh, I just smiled and she goes, "Scooter, we help people. This is what we do." Now, did you did you feel like a different person? You've just gone through Manchester. And now Hurricane Harvey, are you, do you feel like you're evolving into a different person? I'll tell you a story that helped me evolve, and it's not what you're going to expect. Well, that's why I asked the question. Um, I said yes to Bun, and I jumped in, and I had two weeks to put on this telethon. And I convinced, uh, I didn't convince, Les Moonves said, if you get some of the other guys, I'm with you. And I called Ben Sherwood at ABC, and he said, this is the right thing to do, because he had broadcasted uh, Hand in, um, One in Love Manchester. And he's like, ABC's in. I called Les. I said, ABC's in. He goes, we're in. Give me the date. And then I went back to Fox. I went to NBC and everybody jumped in. And then I started going to Telemundo and your, you know, Univision and you know, MTV and the, all the Viacom networks and BET and like everyone, one after another, we're all coming in. We're going to broadcast this thing. Go to YouTube. Like everybody's broadcasting. We're going wide. Facebook, everybody. Here we go. And it's going to be on literally everywhere. I mean, that's a major broadcast for an hour and um burning man was the first weekend before we got started so i start on a monday burning man is that coming weekend i've never been to burning man for five years i've told friends yeah i'll go and i've bailed and i'm like i don't really do drugs i'm not gonna go burning man is that a drug thing and um my friend is you cannot cancel this time and in the first three days of like hustling not sleeping again getting it my wife is like, you can't do this to your body again. You, you can't, you have to prepare yourself. And Allison, my partner here in my business, she looked at me and she goes, go to Burning Man. And I said, what? She goes, it's, you're going for two, three days. We can handle things for two, three days. But when you get back, we're going to have a full seven, eight days to get this thing done. And we're going to need all of you. And you're already breaking down. Go to Burning Man. And I said, I can't do that. I need to be here. I need to be here. And she goes, you need to go away so we can have you strong enough for what we need you for. This is almost like what you told Ariana. Yep. And um, I went to Burning Man. How'd you like it? I loved it. I had no phone. For the first time in probably a decade, I had no phone. I gave my phone to my wife. And then you took off? So you- I went on a bicycle and I rode off. And for th- like two and a half days while I was there, I had no access to the outside world. No one to buzz me to say, meet me here. I rode around a desert like I was one of the kids in Stranger Things. <laughs> and I saw art and I saw emotion and I saw people and I saw kindness. And the playa provides, like people say. And I shut off. I shut off. And I felt like 15-year-old Scooter Braun hanging out in Bible Street Park, riding a bike around. I felt free. And I came back completely rejuvenated. And when I came back, I was a man on fire for that telethon. (laughs) There's an amazing lesson in that. The lesson is, and it was an important lesson. You can't do everything and you can only do what you're strong enough to do. And there are times where it is okay to shut off. So you're ready. 
And the way I look at it from a basketball point of view, Phil Jackson started sitting Michael, Michael Jordan the entire third quarter. And at first, no one could understand it because they were like, we need Michael, we need Michael. But Phil was building confidence in the rest of the team, and he was also making sure that the best player in the world was fully energized for the fourth quarter. I don't want to compare myself to the best player in the world, <laughs> but now that I realize I just did, I kind of enjoyed the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, this amazing web of connections that, that you have, where does it come from? Like, did you, were you able to have this when you were six years old? Yes and no. So ever since I was a kid, I'd kind of wanted to meet everyone, whether they be a star on TV or someone sitting next to me on a bench in the street. You know, I kind of got it from my grandma. She likes to talk to everybody, my mom's mom. Um, I even play a game where uh, I try to get high fives or hugs from strangers. Um, <laughs> the high five game. Yeah, and you can't just go and high five them or hug them. Like, you got to have them hug you. Like, you have to walk down the street and be like, hey! and see if like they'll give you a hug uh, <laughs> and um, what's, what's your percentage rate on this i'm good i'm good at this game my friend jen meyer just played with me at sundance she's phenomenal i've never i've never lost she kicked my butt she was so good it was amazing but um look when you look at something like hand in hand that started off with you know connections but then the web it, it's it, you know six degrees of separation because people they want to help other people they just need to be given the opportunity so I can tell you probably 50 to 60% of the people who participate in Hand in Hand, I've never known or met before. Um, maybe you've met them, but I don't know them. But we had a common goal that we wanted to come together to help people in need. And, you know, that is partially connections, and that's partially just good people being good people. I don't know. What, is it, what does that do as you're adding up all these connections? Do you come out of it feeling stronger and stronger and stronger? No, it's not that you come out feeling stronger. You feel a responsibility because you're doing something that you know means something. It's not, you know, if this doesn't happen, that deal won't go through. You, you know, that doesn't really phase me. But I remember we didn't have a performer for New York for Hand in Hand. We had a performer for every other location but not New York. And we tried to get Gaga, and unfortunately, she wanted to do it. She was fantastic. But her tour schedule just would, it couldn't make sense. Um, we tried to get Springsteen and his Broadway shit schedule it wouldn't make sense. We tried to get Paul McCartney. He was in New York, but his tour was that you know that night, and we couldn't pull it off. And finally, I threw a hail mary to Dave Matthews because I grew up a big Dave Matthews fan, and I knew he could kill it just acoustically. And um, he was in Seattle, and I was bummed. And he said, "This is the right thing to do. I'll get myself to New York. I'll be there." And this was two days before the show. And I remember getting off the phone and just like the emotion of knowing that he was doing it was just, a, it was tremendous. I mean, it, I was exhausted because you care so much because you know if you don't deliver, if you don't kill it, if you don't raise the money, there are lives at stake. And that changes things. And when you're done with an experience like that. You wish it would last forever. You don't want it to be over. Once you're in that moment and it's moving and it's so Stevie Wonder is singing with a gospel choir in yeah. front of you that a gospel choir that was evacuated, you know, and and Tori Kelly and Luis Fonzi are singing Hallelujah in Spanish, amazing. While a pastor and a man and a rabbi come on national TV to do a prayer together, you know, you have Dave Matthews in New York, you have in Nashville some of the greatest 
collaborations I've ever witnessed, a little bit of help from my friends, you know, with just an amazing group of people singing. And then you throw it down to Texas where you got George Strait and Chris Stapleton and Miranda Lambert coming together to sing together. I mean, you don't want it to end. You're kind of like, what are we supposed to do now? And you know what I did? I went to a secret Dave Chappelle show. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I went and uh, that was how I celebrated. And you just spend the night laughing. I spent the night watching who I think is the great, greatest comic genius of my generation tell jokes and laugh. And it just keeps... That was a great day. And it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming day after day after day. There's always something new. And I'll, I'll get to a thought I had toward the end, but I just want to move it through the time periods. Kanye's shoe comes out and it goes off the charts, passes Air Jordans. What are you thinking at, at that point? Because you're assisting Kanye. I'm thinking that he's a genius and that there, I never had any doubt in my mind about that. That's why I wanted to get the Adidas deal done for him because I knew, you know, that that deal was going to be a game changer for him and I knew he was a game changer for them. And um, he just needed the right platform. And so I wasn't surprised by any of that. I mean, he really is a genius. What makes him a genius? He sees things in a different way. He sees things. He, creatively, he is an absolute genius. He just, he sees colors a different way he sees palettes a different way he sees design in a different way he he sees it and hears it first well what's that like working with somebody like that because i i know you have ideas and yeah and i mean concept. at times it's amazing and at times it's a curse because you're like damn i i didn't see that <laughs> he always sees it <laughs> um no but he and i have become really close friends uh, we were friends before, but we become very close through this experience, and we'll, we'll fight like brothers at times, but have respect like family as well. And um, I just think he's—I think he's a brilliant genius, and, and he's a good human. How did it work out that you were working together? Uh, he asked me. He—he he had just tweeted he was fifty-six million dollars in debt, and I called him to say, "Are you okay?" And uh, we one conversation led to another, and he's like, "You should come work with me." And I was like, "You know, I think we should be friends. Like, either for you." He goes, "Nope, you're working for me." And that was that. <laughs> do, do you find that working with him is like some kind of roller coaster where you never know? Going I think working up, down. with anyone who's a brilliant creative can at times be a roller coaster. Working with any other human other than yourself can be a roller coaster because they're not you. So you know their reactions to things are going to be different than yours. But I think that's part of the adventure. I mean, you talked to me about One Love. You talked to me about, you know, the telethon. And now you're talking to me about clients. My response is the same. Life is not ever going to be content. Life is never going to be normal. For the rest of your life, you're on a journey that has ups and downs and ups and downs. It is a roller coaster that never ends until one day you close your eyes and you're off the roller coaster. And... I think for me, I just want to be on as many different journeys as possible. So at least if I'm on a roller coaster, there's a new zigzag and a turn that I didn't know about before. Is this is the what happened with Harvey Weinstein uh, something that put us all in a new place? I mean, you're talking about twists and turns. I mean, look, do I think that that when Barack Obama became the president, people were like, "We're not racist." 
you know, and Harvey Weinstein gets exposed and different people get exposed. And, you know, this isn't this end of sexual harassment in the workplace. You know, what we're doing is, is continuing the fight and there is going to be, you know, more accountability that I think is a very good thing, but I don't think you're going to change adults. I I hope that these experiences change the next generation and kind of teach them lessons because they're the ones who have to grow up a little bit differently and a lot differently. And um, I think, you know, for me to speak on that, all I can say is when I was younger, I was really short. I was like 4'11 as a freshman in high school. So I couldn't be anything but a girl's friend. And that gave me access to hearing all the things that they were frustrated by as a young man and realizing being the asshole as much as when we're in the locker room, maybe the guys are talking. I got to hear what the girls really think. And being the asshole is not something I wanted to be. So I always wanted to be the good guy. I wanted to be the respectful guy because that's what they all kept saying is the the guy they admire because I got to hear these conversations. And when I realized now I'm older and people are talking to me about the Harvey Weinsteins and this and that, the only reason I got that understanding is because I was put in a position where I listened. And I think the best thing we can do now as men is say, look, a lot of this we don't understand. You know, we can understand rape, we can under, but like some of these women were saying, you made me feel uncomfortable. We didn't even know we were making you feel uncomfortable. That's what I've heard a lot of guys say. Well, if we didn't know, instead of fighting it, why don't we just stop talking and listen to what they're saying? And maybe the next time we won't make them so uncomfortable. So that's kind of my point of view. You know, it's time for us to stop trying to figure it out and listen to what they're saying and let them tell us so we don't need to figure it out. Are you behaving differently when you're around women? No, because I'm, I've always been, you know, I was raised by a boss and I married a boss, you know, so <laughs> I, I, I have a respect for women and I've always had it, um, whether it be my mother, my sister, or my wife, uh, or any woman, my partner in this business, Allison. Um, but what about, where hug, I'm acting what diff- about hugging people? Oh, no, no. I definitely like, at this point, I'll say, may I hug you or something like that? Like, because it's, it's a heightened climate right now. But am I worried? Not at all. You know, and the last thing I want to do is create some kind of backlash for women where they feel like because they're speaking out, it's going to come back on them. I think that's ridiculous. And and I think when men are kind of putting that out there, it's because they want to scare them. And I won't I won't take part in that. I think what's going on now, I'd rather have swift justice than slow action. And I, and I think that... Um, what is supposed to come out of this? The assholes are going to be gone. You know, and we're going to treat each other properly in the workplace, regardless of gender. That's what's supposed to come out of this. And hopefully a lot of amazing women will rise to the top in this as well, so that when women are winning awards and they talk about their mentors, they can name a female as their mentor instead of a man who helped them get to the top. When you inter- And that doesn't scare me. A lot of guys, like they say, you know, behind closed doors, I know that well, then if they're getting the job, then I might, you know what? If you're doing it well and they're doing it well, the best person should win. But the days of the most qualified women losing to an underqualified man, those should end. We just saw it happen in an election. The next generation shouldn't have to, you know, deal with that. Okay, so now we're getting toward the end of the year and uh, fire spreads through California. Yep. And I get fi- evacuated. That fire comes close to you. Yes, it does. What What did that teach you? 
Or what did you learn from it? What did it teach me or what did it teach my wife? Because my wife learned that her husband's insane. <laughs> Explain. Okay. My wife and kids left. Right. And I You stayed. You and stayed. I stayed, went out and bought multiple hoses, all kinds of gear. Because I saw on the news a guy saved his house with a with a hose. And I was like, I love this place. All my stuff's in here. It's my kids' home. I'm gonna hold down a fort. So I got two of my buddies to come over. And I said, we're going to fight this thing. And they said, we're in with you, brother. <laughs> and <laughs> You're we, out there with red, with red hats. We, had, we were hats. ready. We had, we had fire gear. We had hoses. <laughs> we had spray. We, had all, we were ready to go. That fire, that fire came near our property. We were about to mess that fire up. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister and my mom, my dad, they're all texting me, get out. You're a moron. Leave. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm not going down like this. <laughs> oh, man. What did you get out of that experience with your buddies? Because you're, I mean, it's, look, it it's was funny a, it, and we're making a joke it was, about it. Was, it but, look, it was a great bonding experience. I love those guys. Those are, those are brothers to me to be able to come over and do that with me. We were very fortunate that the fire did not cross and come our way. Um, it was very close. Uh, but we were fortunate. And looking back, I was probably stupid. You know, I, I, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for my kids. I probably should have just left. It's just material things. Um, I, I was trying to be brave because I saw a guy on on the news. Um, but uh, could could you explain that to your kid? Did, did Jagger like ask for an explanation? Like, where where were you, Dad? I told him I was with the know. fireman. I told him I said Daddy and his friends were playing fireman. <laughs> oh man! Because a kid. The son would probably want to be with you. A hundred percent. That's why I didn't tell him before he left. He just went with mommy. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. By the way, I also told my wife I was coming like a couple hours behind her. I just wanted to get a couple more things. And then once she was gone, I told her, hey, I'm going to stay back and, you know, make sure we're okay. And she was not happy. Oh, man. And so as the year comes to a close, did you see it for the extraordinary year that it was? We, we did our company retreat, which we've never done a company retreat. We did our company retreat to Palm Springs the last week of the year before we took off for break. And what I saw was all the stress that I felt. I asked the people in this office to take on that stress with me. And a lot of them had gone through a lot that year because they followed me into the fire. Um, and it made me realize that I have a responsibility to this company that I've been focusing so much on what I can do for a hundred different people, but there are 42 people right here that also need me to step up for them. Uh, and they had been blindly stepping up for me throughout the year. So I walked away at the end of the year with a new commitment to come back in January, committed to continually growing this company because, um, I want to, if I ever leave, I want to write everyone in this office a check to say thank you. And uh, I got to grow the company to a level that, you know, we can do that. And and that's what I kind of took away from the year that, you know, each of us stands on someone else's shoulders. And um, that's what I was kind of realizing. And then I took off and I went away with my family and I shut down for a little while. Still reading, hanging out with the kids, hanging out with the wife. So a little burning man with the family. Yeah, maybe, yeah, a little bit of that. And um, You know, people don't realize that how, you get thousands of emails a day and texts. Yeah, I get about, I'll probably on average around 2,000 emails a day. 
and a lot of texts, and I get to zero every single night. You know what? I've heard that like five times, and and each time it gets more amazing and unbelievable to me. <laughs> but each time you look at my phone and I show you, I get to zero every single time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I get anxiety if I don't. I mean, I don't have to respond to all these emails. A lot of them I'm cc'd on, but I make sure I go through everything and see everything before the night ends. And so just looking back on the whole year, did did you have a sense of what a huge year this was? I mean, you started saying, you know, it wasn't such a good year. No, let me, let me explain. It was a huge year. I didn't enjoy it. That's what I'm, I'm trying to make you understand. There's a difference between doing amazing work, having great financial success and everything else, and experiencing joy. There was too much sadness too much division, too much anxiety in 2017. And I'm hoping 2018, there can be more joy. I want to do the same amount of work. I want to do the same amount of great things, but I want more joy. Now, 2017 was the first year without my grandmother. You know, it was um, a year where we had a suicide attack. I spoke to people who had lost loved ones. I put myself out there against terror. I put my family in danger because of that. I put people in my office into such stressful positions that they needed breaks and they needed people to talk to. I want 2018 to have more joy than 2017 had. Well, so it was a great year, but I want to have a, a I want to have a great year filled with joy. My wishes to you, family, office, everybody. A year full of joy. Thanks, Cal. It's it's really beautiful hanging with you again. Listen to the man's podcast. Okay. Cal Fussman. Now you got to show me how to get it out there. No problem. Like I know. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you. Once again, you're the man. All right. Thank you. I want you to think about these numbers. You get a hit in every three at-bats in Major League Baseball, you're going to the Hall of Fame. If you throw 65% completions in the NFL, you're at the top of the heap. ZipRecruiter gets a qualified candidate, many qualified candidates, to companies on the same day they send in a job opening in 80% of the cases. 80%. Think about that. And go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N. Here's another real-life story about Squarespace. It's a glorious day. Kevin, the manager, launched Say Something Entertainment's website today on Squarespace. That's right. And he's a happy man. And you know what? He used my discount. Go to squarespace.com, offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and take advantage of that discount just like Kevin, the manager. You'll be glad you did.